The following message is from Temple Bible Church. For more information about the church and its ministries, visit www.templebiblechurch.org. We have over 30 families in 19 nations. Chase is responsible to care for those families and uh, keep before us as a body exactly what's happening. So would you welcome Chase Bowers to the pulpit up here. There you go, brother. Stay up with me. You're hugging me tight. I don't yep, like that. I'm not going to go anywhere. What are you doing? Why are you giving me a TBC welcome? This guy turned 60 on Tuesday. Amen. How about that? How about that? And listen, to celebrate his 60th birthday, he bench pressed 300 pounds three times. Amen. That's no joke. Huh? How about that? <laughs> oh, that's great. I, got, I asked Next him Thursday slide. morning. I asked him Thursday morning to uh, to give me a gunshot. He wouldn't do it, so I had to come up with one myself. You know, if I turn 60, I'll bench press 300 pounds. I'll do three three reps of 100. Good man leading us, and we're grateful for it. Well, this morning, this morning we're going to look in the scripture. If you want to open to Exodus 34, you can do that. As you're opening, let me ask you, what would you do if someone told you that there was danger of a pandemic coming to America? That's not, not, not going to happen, okay? Danger of a pandemic coming to America. It had swept through parts of Africa. Potentially it could go to Asia. And then it could even... I mean, it could even come and impact your kids and you right here. What, what would you do? What would you do? Would you want people to close down schools? I'm just asking hypothetically. Hide your wives, hide your kids, a pandemic's here. What would you do? I don't, I'm just asking. Just wondering. Free day from school, let's take a selfie. I don't know. See, the reality is that a pandemic has come. Now it's not, we got five to seven cases of the Ebola virus here. So I'm not talking about that. We're talking this morning about the pandemic of fatherlessness. Impacting 163 million children globally. 500,000 here in the States, over 10,000 in Texas, and more and more and more. And those are just numbers from the system. What would you do if a pandemic had come? Well, it's come, and so we're going to look at maybe what would be considered a strange scripture. And if you want to mark Luke 10 in your Bible, you can do that as well. We'll go there later. Maybe a strange scripture to talk about fatherlessness, but I think an important one. So Moses has been with the Lord. He's going to get the tablets. And people sin. Tablets are crushed. He goes and gets the tablets again, and he goes before the Lord. And it says in verse 5, The Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him, and there proclaimed the name of the Lord. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, 
visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. And Moses quickly bowed his head toward the earth and worshipped. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your great love. We thank you that you're slow to anger, that you're abounding in steadfast love. We thank you that you're a just God. Lord, as we look at how this scripture has come to play out in so many cultures and now in our own, give us wisdom as we would seek to have a faithful gospel response to it. In Jesus' name, amen. So if I'd ask, how do we respond to the scripture, you might say, well, we submit to it, we obey it, we believe it, we trust it, we do what it says. But how do we respond to this descriptive scripture of what the Lord says will happen? I will visit the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. Now, does that mean, we've got to answer a question first, does that mean God punishes people for their father's sins? That's not what that means. Deuteronomy 24 makes that clear. The book of Ezekiel makes that clear. It's not that God punishes people for their father's sins, but a couple of things that are going to happen. It, it says it here in Exodus. It says it in Numbers over and over in the Old Testament. It played out in Israel's history. It's played out in the history of every culture that ever lived. And it's playing out in our culture today. Two things. One, sinful cycles tend to repeat themselves throughout the generations. Sinful cycles tend to repeat themselves throughout the generations. So, some of you don't raise your hands, but if I said, how many of you in here hope that you don't become like your parents? We could have a good laugh. We could have a good laugh about that. Well, I've got good news and bad news for you. You probably are like your parents. You probably have a little bit of the best of them and a little bit of the worst of them. Sinful cycles tend to repeat themselves, but I think a greater picture that we could focus on today is this, especially as it relates to fatherlessness. Children have to deal with the consequences of their father's sins. Children have to deal with the consequences of their father's sins. That's just a hard reality. God said it would happen, it has happened, it does happen, it is happening, and it will happen. So before we dive off into fatherlessness and talk about how we can respond to that, if you're a father here today, let me say to you, don't take that lightly. There might be somebody at work that you think is an innocent flirtation now that will end up being what makes your kids fatherless. Or it might be work itself. You might spend 20 hours a day there and four at home and your kids are effectively fatherless. Or maybe it's that you come home so tired from work and you drink and drink and drink. You don't have a problem drinking. You know exactly how to do it. And your kids are fatherless. So if that's you, you need to repent. Stop it. And that needs to be clear. It will happen. But what do we as the church do when it has happened here? And by the way, it has happened here. 50% of the children born in Texas this year will go into a home without a father. 
That's not Africa. That's not Asia. Not even those northeastern states. That's Texas. 50% of the kids in Texas born this year will be born into a home without a father. So what does that mean? Well, 63% of youth suicides come from fatherless homes. 71% of pregnant teenagers come from fatherless homes. So this year in America, about 750,000 teens will experience unplanned pregnancies. 250,000 of those will end in abortion. And over two-thirds of those young ladies don't have a father in their life. 90% of all homeless and runaway children don't have a dad. 70% of juveniles in state-run institutions have no father. 85% of students with behavioral disorders have no father. 71% of all high school dropouts. 75% of adolescents in chemical abuse centers. 85% of all youths in prison. Now those are staggering statistics. And, and they can just be numbers. But let me tell you, I was, I was one of those kids. I was one of those kids. My dad left and was not around. I would see him occasionally. We'd go fishing. It was a good time. But all those stats, I can think back, man, this could have happened to me here. 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 But, but I had an uncle who stepped in and who was just that man for me. And that's important for us to hear because today we'll talk about a variety of ways you can impact kids. So maybe these statistics will look a little bit different or maybe they'll look exactly the same but you'll have impacted some, so they're not one of these numbers. The statistics are staggering, but what do they cause? What do these statistics bring about? I want us to think about this in terms of poverty. So the first thing is that they bring about emotional poverty. They bring about emotional poverty. When a child is not growing up in a family situation that is flourishing, it brings about emotional poverty. Poverty, there's pain, there's heartache and hurt. This week I read more stories than anybody ought to of kids who are hurting. One was a story of a girl named Danielle. Never really knew her father. He was around some until she was three. Then he was gone. Her mom tried to do the best that she could. Her mom was fatherless as well, so she got into a cycle of running after men who were not good for her and who were not good for her daughter, who were predators, looked innocent on the outside but harmful. She said, by the time I was 12, I didn't eat, I didn't talk much. I would literally and figuratively bang my head against the wall. My friends called me the skull because it was like there was no life in me. It causes emotional poverty in kids. It doesn't just cause emotional poverty, it causes physical poverty. Kids without a father in the home are more likely, seven times more likely to fall into poverty and into the welfare system than kids with a dad at home. 
Fatherlessness in America costs taxpayers $112 billion annually. There's emotional poverty, there's physical poverty, and then there's relational poverty. There's relational poverty. People end up not knowing how to function in normal human relationships. One observer says it like this, when you're an adolescent, your brain is growing at a rapid rate. There's a lot of emotion, confusion, thrill-seeking. It's a time when you try a lot of things and make a lot of mistakes. We all went through it. But in my neighborhood, there's not a lot of maneuverability. There's not a lot of room for teens to make mistakes. And mistakes have higher consequences. To make things worse, adolescents seem to be prolonged here. Many young people in the community view adolescence as the pinnacle and not a stage. Girls become mothers at a young age. Fathers are absent, so young boys are forced to act like men. So what you have are adolescents who become authority figures and spread the adolescent mindset through the community. Instead of thinking through a conflict, young men feel a social pressure to immediately act and react so they don't appear soft or weak. That's why I feel that mentorship programs are so important. They give adolescents space to remain adolescents. Any of you read Lord of the Flies? You remember what it was like when all these boys are trying to rule over one another and there's no real adult male influence in their life. See, it causes relational poverty. And it causes societal poverty. It causes societal poverty. People are not equipped to find their way into becoming a contributing member of society. They, they, don't know, they don't know how to contribute and be fruitful in society. And then it causes cyclical poverty. It continues to perpetuate a cycle of fatherlessness that is not going away and it happens over and over and over. And we've seen it. We've seen it play out in our world. Someone the other day said to me, so you're younger middle-aged... I was a little bit offended by that. I, I really like to think of myself as an older, young guy, you understand? But they were right. I guess I am younger, middle-aged. And as I thought about that, I thought, this has been going on for a long time. It's been going on for a long time. The move toward fatherlessness has been happening since before there were cable news shows. Since before people on the left would really say welfare's the way and that'll fix everything and before people on the right really would say if these people would just pull themselves up by their bootstraps, they'd be fine. And then the cable news shows came along where we could just turn on the TV, have someone say exactly what we think and we could just nod in agreement. And so I've got to say to all the folks who are kind of younger, middle-aged like me, and maybe a little bit older, that that's kind of what you do, whether on the right or the left. Folks my age and a little bit younger than me have really grown tired of the arguing. Because neither one of those things seem to be working real well. And maybe 
Maybe we ought to recognize that a policy is not the way and that the kingdom of God is not on the left or on the right or in the center, but it's over and above all these things. So maybe the question we ought to ask is not why isn't welfare working or why aren't these people just pulling themselves up by their bootstraps. Maybe the question we ought to ask is how can I, how can we as God's people give a faithful gospel response to this how can we come into this brokenness with love like he came into brokenness that we live in with love how can we do this how can we do this and it is a big deal if you don't think it's a big deal i don't want you to hear it from me alone david blankenship says fatherlessness is the most harmful demographic trend in this generation It's a leading cause of declining child well-being in our society. It's also the engine driving our most urgent social problems. From crime to adolescent pregnancy to child sex abuse to domestic violence against women. Yet despite its scale and social consequences, fatherlessness is a problem that is frequently ignored or denied. That's not working out real well for our society, but I don't want you just to hear it from me. We've got a guy in our church who's been a family court judge for years. He sees the brokenness of fatherlessness five days a week over and over and over in his courtroom. I want you to hear from him. Would you guys welcome up Judge Charlie Van Orden? Thank you, Charlie. You see this, you probably understand it as well as anybody in our culture. So, how is fatherlessness impacting children and our society as a whole? Well, especially in in family law courts, uh, you know, we've seen the statistics up here today. You've seen the the demographic reports today. I will tell you that in, in the first service this morning, I was kind of this informational source we in, in this county and the surrounding counties, in the state of Texas, there's about 6,800 kids who are free for adoption, that is, can be adopted and are, are not in adoptive homes. And in this county and the surrounding counties, there's a little over 100. And I see them, that is, children who are not in a home, they're in a foster home, a group home. I see them on a regular basis, these 100 kids. And the message to me is please find a home for me. And I see them continually, and it's the hardest thing I do as a judge to see kids who are so desperate for families uh, that, that are, not, are not there for them. So, Charlie, you see it, and you see it over and over and over. How is this cycle repeating itself in our community? Well, again, in this community, in Bell County, uh, I've been here a little over 30 years. I started out as a prosecutor uh, representing the department on CPS cases. I'm seeing some of those families coming back. Some of those children are now grandparents of children who are in the, the care of, of the state. And so it, you see the same faces, the same families coming back, the same problems based on where has the father been, where has the stability been and the security for these children. So, 
Charlie, we'll have some applications that we'll talk about later, what we can do, whether that's being a court-appointed special advocate, whether that's fostering or adopting or being a mentor. How does that impact a kid's life? You shared with us about that this morning and shared a great story in the early service. Would you tell us about that? Uh, You know, a couple of things, too. I'm going to share the story, but, you know, someone came up to me after the first service who's in their 60s, and they said, I I can't do that. Uh, You know, I'm beyond that. We have adopted kids, in fact, about two weeks ago to a couple who are in their late 60s. And if people are surprised by that, think about this for a minute. Where else do those children go? So I'm too old for that. I'm, I'm past that. There are children out there who do not have homes, who will not be going anywhere when they turn 18 at Christmas, who do not have families that can care for them. The the story I shared this morning, though, uh, it's the symbol of CASA. It's it's a starfish. And as most of you know, along the Gulf, we've seen starfish. If If they come out of the water and they dry up, they die. But if you can get them back in the water quick enough, they live. And so a grandfather and his grandson are walking along the seashore, and the little boy is picking up starfish, throwing them back in the water, and the grandfather says, what are you doing? And the little boy says, I'm saving starfish, Grandpa. And the grandfather looks at him, knowing the enormousness of the situation, looking up the seashore, seeing thousands of starfish. He says, son, you can't save the starfish. You can't. There's too many of them. And the little boy looks at his grandfather. He picks one starfish up. He throws it in the water. And he looks back at his grandfather and says, I saved that one. I saved that one. So again, when you look at the enormousness of the problem, keep in mind that you can do something. You can make a difference in a child's life. And it's one of the biggest blessings you can give to yourself and to that child and one other thing I wanted to add, Chase has some great applications today, but, but two more that I didn't see of pray for these children. Pray for these children and pray that they find the families. And number two, there are a lot of single moms in this community, and they really need your help and your support, and you know who they are. They're in your neighborhoods. They're raising children by themselves under stressful times. Please do whatever you can to help them. Thank you, Charlie. Thank you very much. So when Charlie shared that in the first service, it it made me think about a conversation I had with Danny in Rwanda about two or three years ago. We were between meetings, and there's a little coffee shop that we stopped at to get some coffee, and we're talking about just these overwhelming numbers, 163 million kids globally and what it would look like to see those numbers start to go down. And Danny has a way of asking great questions to people he loves that will kind of make you want to look at him and go, I hate you. <laughs> so Danny said, well, what, what are you going to do if you work all your life toward this and the numbers don't go down, Chase? And, and that's a real possibility. The numbers might not go down. And he said, is isn't really the answer we're looking for, that we're just going to be faithful to do what we can. We're going to bring a faithful gospel response to this situation. We're going to be light in this brokenness. And we're not going to worry about those results. We're going to be the light of the world. That's, that's where we're headed. That's where we're headed. What are we going to do? 
What are we going to do? Because the last five decades have seen exponential increase in the number of fatherless kids in America. And there was a prophetic voice that spoke that this would happen in 1965. He called attention to the dangers of boys and girls growing up without their fathers given the increasing trend toward a fatherless society. He understood that fatherlessness affects more than just single mothers and fatherless children. He warned that unless something drastically changed, our nation itself would descend into crime, violence, and anarchy. He said a community that allows large numbers of young men and women to grow up in broken families, never acquiring any stable relationship with male authority, never acquiring a rational expectation about the future, That community asks for and gets chaos. Now 50 years after his predictions, his warnings have proven to be frighteningly accurate. Since 1965, the number of fatherless children and the percentage of single families have more than doubled. He saw this unfolding in front of us and the destruction is widespread. So who was this prophetic voice in 1965? Was it, was it A.W. Tozer, great preacher of the 20th century? Was it Jim Dobson, founder of Focus on the Family? Maybe a young John MacArthur. It was Democratic New York Senator Daniel Patrick Moynihan. So you don't even have to follow Jesus to see The overwhelming impact fatherlessness can have on a society. It's it's here. It's here. Now, I tell you guys about where I grew up some, and Deweyville, Texas, for whatever reason, tends to make people laugh, and I don't really know why. It's the sort of town you're glad to get out of with most of your teeth, and I did. Deweyville, Texas, right on the Sabine River. I grew up on the backwaters of the Sabine, about 150 yards from it, down in southeast Texas. And, you know, people talk about these things that happened to your town. And so in Deweyville growing up, people would talk about the flood of 53. This awful flood that swept through the town. You got, when the river floods, you got some low houses that are going to get hit. You got some high, they're not going to get hit. But then most of the town's pretty flat. And so if a flood comes, most of the town will be destroyed. And they talk about the flood of 53. See, Deweyville's not like central Texas. They don't have hard soil where it'll rain here, river will flood, and it's done in a day. It's kind of a gumbo or soupy soil. And it might not rain in Deweyville. It might rain... 200, 250 miles north. But if it does, a flood's coming and there's not a lot you can do about it. And in July of 1989, much like the trend of fatherlessness that was coming toward America 50 years ago, there was a great storm in northeast Texas and we knew a flood was coming. So what do you do? Well, the county brings sand. The state brings sand. You start loading up sandbags and people try to figure out, just like these boys are doing in a photo, you try to figure out how high the flood's going to be and you set your sandbags a bit higher than that. And so 
Folks through most of the town knew that they needed about two and a half feet of sandbags. if They were going to stem the flood. And there was a night it was supposed to crest. And I remember us staying up late watching, but finally going to sleep. And the water was about seven or eight inches below the top of the sandbags. And we thought, we're going to be okay. We're going to wake up in the morning, and this will have gone down. But those who are making estimates misjudged. And the water kept rising and rising and rising. And two and a half feet of sandbags don't really do a lot for a four and a half foot flood. A lot of the town was destroyed. So what do you do? You go in and you clean up. You clean up around your house and you help others around you. Whether you know them or not, whether they look like you or not. When a place is broken, you go in and you clean it up. You seek to repair the brokenness. See, that's what fatherlessness is in America and around the world. The flood has come and the sandbags didn't hold and the world is broken with fatherlessness. So what can we do? What can we do? Well, we can ignore it. We can ignore it. And you say, I'm, I'm not paying attention to that. That doesn't affect me. That's not really my fault. Taking care of my wife and kids. I love my husband. It's not my fault. Listen, the essence of incarnational ministry is that our sins are not Jesus' fault. But He chose to come into this brokenness with redemption. And it was costly. It was costly. We can ignore it. We can just become it. We can say this is the way the world's going. I'm not worried about anybody else. In fact, I'm not going to worry about my family. I'm just going to run into sin headlong. I hope nobody here wants to be that foolish. We can hide. We can stay away from it. Or we can get mad at the cycle and just think this ought to be easily broken. You know, there's a story in Luke 10, Jesus tells, of a guy who got on the wrong road. There's a merchant road between Jericho and Jerusalem. And it's a dangerous road, a bad place to be. It was known for robbers. He's on the wrong road. And the guy got beat up. Now, there are also... A Levite and a priest that go by, they're on the wrong road as well for whatever reason. But maybe they've got religious activity. Maybe they're afraid that they're going to get hurt if they try to help him. Maybe they're afraid the robbers are still hiding. Maybe they just don't have time. Maybe they don't know that guy and it's not their problem. But they decide not to stop. And then there's a Samaritan that the Jews would have just hated who stops and renders aid. He gives the guy help. He cleans his wounds. He takes him to an end and gives money for him to be taken care of and says, I'll come back if there's any more that I owe, I'll pay it. It's the sort of ministry the Samaritan does that costs time, it costs energy, it costs money, it costs emotion. It's incarnational ministry. He gets in the guy's life. And Jesus asked the Jews he's teaching, he says, so who was the one that was a good neighbor? And they won't even use the word, the Samaritan. 
I suppose, I suppose the one that helped him. See, we can ignore it, we can coalesce to it, we can hide, we can get mad, or we can act with compassion. We can act with compassion and come into this brokenness. Now, it's not a light or easy call. If you get involved in ministry to fatherless kids, you will love more passionately, hurt more deeply, grieve more bitterly, and celebrate more joyously. Now, some of you, a lot of you know my story. Some of you may not. And in 2008, Laura and I, our two kids, we're a normal family. And then God begins to pierce our heart that we might be called to adoption, and specifically from Africa. And so... In 2011, we brought home our son Jeb from Rwanda and then quickly after that we became aware that we were not done and we brought Mac home from a little bit north uh, west of Rwanda, a place called Austin, um, this January. And people say, are you done? And Laura and I say, yeah, we're done. But this the last couple of weeks we keep saying we're done and look at each other with this odd twinkle in our eye. So y'all, y'all pray for us that we're actually done. Who knows? I can tell you you'll love more passionately. I can tell you you'll hurt more deeply and grieve more bitterly and celebrate more joyously throughout the process of caring for vulnerable children than you ever thought imaginable. But we've got to be willing to walk this path for their sake. And as we do, really embracing their brokenness paints a vivid picture. It's our hope of how Jesus embraced ours. So what do we do if we want to Bring a faithful gospel response. Well, there's a variety of things you can do. For some, you can consider fostering and adopting. Not not everybody's going to do that, but for some, you can consider it. I think when we have days like this, folks think, well, what do you want, Chase? Are you saying we should adopt? Listen, if you're hearing that you should adopt, I'm not saying that. That must be the Holy Spirit, so you deal with Him, okay? Maybe not. You can discern that. Not everybody will. It's a hard road, but some are called to foster and adopt, and you might find yourself in a place, if somebody had said to me five and a half years ago, when you're walking out to preach on a Sunday morning, your wife is going to hand you a diaper that could be used as a chemical weapon because you're going to have a nine-month-old. Oh, no way, we're, we're too old to do this. And, and we are. Some can foster and adopt. You might even be at a life stage where you think that you can't. But you can. That's not for everybody, though. Many can support adoptive families. Can support single moms like Charlie talked about. You can get trained to give respite care. Do you know if you're fostering to adopt through the state system, not just anybody can babysit those kids for you. Someone has to be trained to do it. You can very quickly receive training. Just give a break. For a mom or dad to go get groceries by themselves. Just to have some sort of break. Have a night out. You can support them. You can love them. You can become a court-appointed special advocate. Court-appointed special advocate is not a foster parent. It's not a birth parent. As Charlie spoke about, they come alongside and act in the best interest of a child who's in the system, weaving their way through the system. It'll cost you a little bit of time to invest in a child and maybe make an amazing gospel difference in their life. You can become a wildcat mentor. 
You can become a Wildcat mentor. I heard the story of a young man who was in fifth grade. His mom was taking care of him alone. And he was having a hard time. And a couple of men came alongside him. They knew he liked to play basketball, so they invited him to play on their team. And his life began to change. Began, began to become a little more positive. Made a difference in him. He didn't end up on the streets. He ended up becoming LeBron James. If somebody mentored him. What sort of difference can you make in a kid's life through mentoring? You can volunteer at Hope Pregnancy Center. Come alongside young ladies with an unplanned pregnancy, young couples with an unplanned pregnancy. Love and serve them. Some can foster and adopt. Many can volunteer in a variety of ways. Most can support Hope, hope Financially. You can give to their ministry that they're doing. They're going to see a lot of women come to Jesus every year that need to get plugged into a local church, and here we are to help. They're going to see a lot of babies not get aborted this year. And they're going to see some moms who are in hard places that need folks to come alongside them, and they'll do that. You can support them. And then you can give to TBC Global Orphan Care Initiatives. We do orphan care globally through the local church because we believe that's the sustainable way to do it. So $50 sends a Ukrainian orphan to camp every summer. $40 will send a Christmas care package to fatherless children or children who are vulnerable. In Ukrainian city of Belyatsirkov, where our local sister churches work. In Rwanda, 300 kids, or $300 will send a Rwandan orphan to school for a year. $50 will pay for school books and uniforms for orphan children. $37 provides a goat for a vulnerable family. $40 provides medical insurance for a family for a year. This last year, we worked with the Rwandan churches, and we gave and they gave. And because of your generosity and their generosity, a hundred families in their community were insured so children could go to the doctor. So dads and moms could go to the doctor and dads could keep their jobs. And in Rwanda and Ukraine, government officials came to see what's happening with these churches. See, the world takes notice when we respond with compassion. The information on how you can serve is in your bulletin. There are tables in the lobby. I'd encourage you to go visit. What sort of impact can you make in the life of a fatherless child? Why don't you watch this video and maybe we'll find the answer to that. I was an orphan. I was an orphan. I was an orphan. I didn't know my father. I was alone. Helpless. Helpless. I had no family. I didn't belong to anyone. To anyone. To anyone. I was an orphan. No one saw me. No one knew me. I was invisible. I was lost. I was lost. No one claimed me. No one said, He's mine. She's mine. I was an orphan. I was an orphan. I was hungry. Like all the food in the world couldn't fill me up. I was vulnerable. Unprotected, at risk, cold, tired, tired. 
I thought I didn't matter. I thought no one cared. No one cared. I was an orphan. I was an orphan. I was an orphan. But I was found. But I was found. I was found. Someone stepped in. Someone saw me. I was sought. Pursued. Wanted. Known. I was an orphan. But now I belong. Now I belong. Now I belong. I'm embraced. A sister. A brother. I know my father. I know my father. I know my father. I was an orphan. But I am loved. At great cost. I am restored. I am restored. And for the first time, I know that I am valued, prized, forever. 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 I was an orphan. I was an orphan. I was an orphan. We're all orphans. So I care for orphans. So I care for orphans. I was an orphan. So I care for orphans. Father, we thank you that you have loved us with an everlasting love and that you have given us a spirit of adoption, that your Son came into our brokenness and has redeemed us. Lord, let us consider how we might be the light to this broken world. A city on a hill can't be hidden. We've been called to let our light shine in such a way that people would see our good works and glorify our Father in heaven. So as we leave today, God, help us to consider what is our faithful gospel response to the brokenness of fatherless children in our community. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And you're dismissed.